And we're back with the Pope on Film. Act three, money! Act three. Act three. Yes, Bunny, my friend, it is time once again for all of us here at the Pope on Film podcast to casually stroll on in to the third and final act of the Pope on Film podcast, and it is said third act, wherein we finally and eventually get around to discussing our low-cost, high-strength, and finally available without a prescription movie of the week. And this week, we are once again... For the fifth year in a row, discussing the 1972 kids movie that has become a staple of the show every Christmas season, Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. Yes. Bunny, I, I crunched the numbers. We did this movie in episode 205, in episode 105, episode 154, episode 198, episode 241, and now in episode 285. So that would mean that we did this movie. That's not each hmm? the actual movie. We've, we've, we've still only done the movie only five times. That sounded more like five, yes. more than five episodes. Yeah. No, no. For the fifth, uh, uh, we did the first episode in 2016. And starting in 2016, we have done it every year. Yes. Yes. So episode 105 and... 16, episode 154 in 2017, episode 198 in 2018, episode 241 in 2019, and now episode 285. We've been doing this podcast for a while. Yes. We started this podcast in 2014. So this is our history here, Bunny. This is our history. Yes, it is. So, yes, Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. Uh, the film, uh, uh, this phenomenally bad movie, we are once again, uh, our annual tradition of discussing this film. And I I would like to take this time once again, once again, as I have done every year, I would once again like to say that I have written a completely all new set of notes for this episode. Yes. I don't want people listening to this or watching this on Facebook to think that I've just saved some old ripped up notes from 2016 and I'm using those notes every single solitary time we do Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. No. Entirely all new set of notes every year. Yes. I will be saying and doing things in this episode that you have definitely never heard me say or do before because this is an all-new look at Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. Okay? Okay? It's fucking me up every time you say that because I picture Bunny. Like... Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny Williams? Yeah. 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 Maybe he's driving around in a little ice cream truck. And Santa's there like, oh, it's so hot. Oh, my reindeer left. I don't know what to do. Then suddenly, then suddenly you see a cloud of smoke. And Bunny Williams is just there like smoking weed. Got just the thing for him, my man. And he's like, hey, 
I got something that'll make Mellow you fly. Your head. Mellow your head. <laughs> yeah. So Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. This week's movie is so bad that a lot of people, including some bad movie lovers, have never even heard of this movie, let alone seen it. It's an under-the-radar bad movie, Bunny. Yes. What I would say definitely for the first time. Now, here comes the difficult part. How to explain this week's movie without sounding completely insane. The basic plot of Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny uh, focuses on Santa Claus, who, it should be noted, rates a 9.5 on the Joe Don Baker sweat meter. Yes. This is a joke I have never said before. Yes. First time saying that. <laughs> Ever. Santa crashes his sled on a beach in Florida. That's Florida the state and not Flo Rida the rapper. This is definitely something that I wrote in 2020 and not in 2016 where it would have made more sense. No, yes. I wrote that now. Yes, you did. So Santa crashes his uh, sled on the beach and the reindeer try and get him out, and they can't. But then the heat is too much for the reindeer, so the reindeer leave him. I hope to God that when Santa gets back to the North Pole, he fires those sons of bitches. Okay. But here's my question, okay? Yes. Was this the first year that Florida had sand? It's <laughs> a good question. That is a good question. How did he manage every other year? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and why and... did he dress like that if he knew he was going to Florida and probably probably Havana after? Santa hates sand Dress so for the much. weather, Santa. Santa hates sand so much. He's at he his level of hatred for sand is best described as an Anakin. As an Anakin, that is pretty high rating. That's how much he hates sand. So a bunch of different uh, people, primarily animals, try and get him out of the sand. Uh, some kids try and get him out. A gorilla tries to get him out. Yes. A donkey and other animals from a theme park petting zoo perhaps, <coughs> yes, try and get exactly. him to the sand. And they can't. So uh, Santa decides to say, oh, I'm never going to give up, kids. Just like this story that I'd like to tell you. And then suddenly, inexplicably, out of nowhere, a whole different movie breaks out. Yes. And this movie within a movie is actually much longer than all of this Santa nonsense. Uh, the movie is so when it gets to the movie within a movie, you either get one of two movies either you get the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, which I'm a big fan of because that uh version of Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny is much shorter, yeah. or you get the story of Thumbelina. And I like the Thumbelina one because in the Thumbelina version, you get to actually visit the pirate themed theme park in Florida that all of this has been filmed at. Now, this yes. is a, a, a theme park in Florida pre 
Disney bastardization. They visit Pirate Land Amusement Park for no reason whatsoever. So, so, so a kid in the movie Thumbelina, which is sometimes shown in the middle of Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny, a girl visits Pirate World and then imagines the story of Thumbelina. So in a way, it's a movie within a movie within a movie. It's crapception. Yeah. Is what it is. So this, so so here are some stats for you. Again, stats I've never said before. This is a 1972 kids movie, and it's important to note that throughout the 60s and 70s and even the 80s, it definitely seems like the powers that be in Hollyweird seem to think, hey, let's make a movie for kids. Now let's remember the important rule about making a movie for children. Children are stupid, so we don't need to try that hard. Oh, yeah. hi, Santa Claus conquers the Martians. I didn't see you there. Oh, look, you brought Mac and me. That's fine. So <laughs> in order to fully get to the bottom of Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny, we need to talk about a specific movie genre, the type of movie genre you wouldn't expect to, to, to be talking about when talking about a kid's movie about Santa Claus and Ice Cream Bunny. So you found a thing. We are going to be talking about Nudie Cuties. Nudie Cuties, yes. The on Film Podcast, kicking it up a notch. So Nudie Cuties, Nudie Cuties were softcore nude movies from primarily the 50s and 60s that feature ample toplessness, select bottomness, bottomlessness, no vagina. No, just their body was missing. Well, no, you get to see a bit of butt, but you don't see a vagina, you don't yeah, see penis. Half their body was missing. Yeah, half of their body was missing. And also, the broadest humor ever to be shamelessly written into a script. Yes. Here is a list of some nudie cutie movies, and I'd like to take this time to say before I read this list, I did not make up too many of the names. Uh, Nudies on the Moon, The Monster of Camp Sunshine, Nudies at the Slaughterhouse, yes. Nudie Homicide Detective, Naked University, Naked USA, Topless Iron Workers. Okay, never mind. I made up the majority of those names. This is a bit. Again. Naked University was still a really good one. I've never heard this bit before. Yeah, I've never done this bit before. So, uh, Nudie Cuties were a thing. The type of thing that would be viewed in dimly lit grindhouse theaters by single men in long trench coats in in parts of New York before they became M&M stores. Yes. Well, uh, uh, many of you might be wondering how we get from uh, nudies at the slaughterhouse to Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. We're almost there. So a leading director in the world of nudie cuties was a guy by the name of Barry Mahon. Yes. I think the H in his last name is silent, but I believe that all letters matter. Yes. So I produce all letters. Like the classic kids book, Nuffle Bunny. I don't say that. I pronounce the K in the beginning. So I always read it, Knuffle Bunny. And kids get angry at me and they say, oh, it's Nuffle Bunny. And I'm like, oh, so you're just going to forget the K in the beginning? All letters matter, kids. It's Knuffle Bunny. And this is Barry Mahon. 
<laughs> he was a veteran. He was in WWII, as Dick Miller calls it, in Gremlins. And I know this because of Wikipedia. He was a, in World War II, and he was kidnapped by the Germans, and he managed to escape. They made a movie about it, and you probably haven't heard of it before. It's called The Great Escape! Yes. It was written about the guy who made Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny! <laughs> That's why you see, like, the dashing hero, and it's like, we're going to get out of here. But first, ice cream. Yes. That's why there's so many ice cream bunnies in The Great Escape. Mm -hmm. So, But, but, Leonardo DiCaprio did a great fucking job portraying him. Yeah, yeah, he was amazing. Brilliant. I love that movie so much. Uh... (laughs) Barry Mahon directed over 60 films in his lifetime. He was also a very prolific producer in junk. He made a lot of nudie cuties. Uh, here are, uh, these are all ones that, these are all actual titles of movies he directed. Forbidden Flesh, Sex Club Intern, Nudia Gogo, Swinging Nurses, The Love Cult, Nudes on Tiger Reef, The Beast That Killed Women, which I have seen. Bottoms up, and my favorite sounding one, The Diary of Knockers McCalla. <laughs> Such a good name for a movie, damn. But he also directed such great non nudie stinkers as Pagan Island, Cuban Rebel Girls, and pause for dramatic effect Rocket Attack USA. Oh. Which was featured in a very early episode of Mystery Science Theater. It was season two, so it was a Joel. So you know it was a good one. Welpers. The story goes thusly. In the late 1960s in Dania, Florida, which is apparently a place, they opened up a 78-acre theme park called Pirate's World. And uh, it, it... musically it was a big deal for a small period in time because it had rides and roller coasters and theme park sort of stuff but it was also a concert venue and it was a very big concert venue Led Zeppelin played there in 1969 The Grateful Dead played there in 1970 David Bowie played there in 1972 Pirate's World was the fucking place to be man that is awesome they did good money until uh, the 70s when uh, Disney said, yes, uh, we will be opening up our own theme park. I know you like Disneyland in California, but now we're going to the East Coast with our new park, which will be bigger than Disneyland. We're calling it Disney World, and it will be the first ever theme park ever in Florida. And Pirates World is like, hello, we're, we're over here. We're, we're a thing, have been, for, for uh, over a decade. Yes. So Pirate's World is suddenly struggling, and the owners are desperate to try and bring people into their park, and the idea that they came up with is to make a series of fairly cheap movies in and around the park, and the movies would serve as a sort of advertisement for their failing theme park, and as it just so happens, at the time... 
Mr. Nudie Cutie Barry Mahon was just jumping into the kitty uh, cheapy film around this time. He made a very low budget Wizard of Oz movie um, in 1969 called The Wonderful Land of Oz. And he was looking for a place to make it. And he was like, hey, uh, Pirate World, how much would it cost to make a cheap movie here? And they said, yeah, you can make your movie in here. And they released the movie. And um, the dude was such a... Uh, I guess the best word is liar. I don't know. He he, yeah. he was a carnival barker to try and get people interested in his movies. And he had the balls to tell the press, to tell Variety, he was in talks to have Judy Garland appear in the movie, which was, of course, yeah. fucking yeah. But you got to admire the balls on the man in order to, to, like, to have such... He's such a amazing liar if he was still alive he would definitely be a part of the trump administration yes so after the oz movie uh barry mahon made a series of movies with pirates world as his center there was musical mutiny which was a documentary about a free iron butterfly concert I had seen parts of it on YouTube and it was really interesting because it's like, here's Iron Butterfly singing in the Cata de Vida. Here's a shot of people in the audience. Here's in a Cata de Vida again. Here's a slide at Pirate World. And the entire <laughs> movie is like this. And it's like, it's like Barry Mahon specifically directed it with the intent of featuring as much of the theme park as he could. Because at yes. this point in time, the theme park were like, hey, it, it, it's it's like if Six Flags just said, "Hey, Ed Wood, you want to like make movies in our theme park?" And so Ed Wood is making like a Bride of the Monster about a monster that attacks the Viper roller coaster. Yeah, you know, it's like a. It's, symbiotic relationship. Barry Mahon is getting money to make movies as long as he advertises Pirate World. And and so it's kind of cute. There's Jack and the Beanstalk. There's uh, Thumbelina. And all three of these movies came out in 1970. By 1971, Walt Disney World was open to people and uh, uh, Pirate's World was in serious financial jeopardy. So they decided to do one more movie in order to advertise pirate world but they had no money for a new movie so instead of creating a new movie they added a bunch of cheap new scenes to the crappy movies that they already made and that is the story of santa claus and the ice cream bunny it's really interesting uh especially the fact that for the longest period in time it, like there were two movies there was santa claus and the ice cream bunny with jack and the beanstalk and there was santa claus and the ice cream bunny with thumbelina Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny with Jack and the Beanstalk was not that popular. Santa Claus yeah. and the Ice Cream Bunny with Thumbelina was pretty popular. So for the longest time, it was believed that the Jack and the Beanstalk version was lost. And I had not seen the Jack and the Beanstalk version up until this year. Yes. Usually, we do the Thumbelina version. Last year, I watched the Thumbelina version while Bunny watched the Rift Tracks live version which featured the rare Jack and the Beanstalk yes. version. So this year is the first year that we're both on the same page. Bunny, what are your thoughts on Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny with Jack and the Beanstalk as opposed to Thumbelina? 
it was horrible. It was horrible, and it was so laughably horrible in so many different spots. <coughs> I mean, I, I, there were some parts that were more entertaining than the others. I will say I liked what? Hey, I like the Jack and the Duck version better than the Thumbelina version. Is what I will gladly say. It's hard picking and I, a favorite. And I can back it's hard picking can... a favorite because there's so there's so much more fun I can poke at this one. You know. Yeah. Then the Thumbelina one, so I can I don't know. back up my claim. Let me say, I think the Thumbelina. I can back up my claim. One, the Jack one is better. I think the Thumbelina one had more production value. Can we agree on that one? Yes, but let me tell you the important reason why I like the Jack and the Beanstalk one better. It's a half hour shorter. Okay. Well, that's fair. And that's really important to me. <coughs> because it, 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 the Jack and the Beanstalk, Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny, is about an hour and ten. And the Thumbelina version is almost an hour and forty. Yeah. So, that, so automatically the Jack and the Beanstalk one wins. Okay. But yeah, I think the 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 when it comes to quality, probably the Thumbelina one is is just done better. Where this was a fucking train wreck. Amusingly this like a, so. This is like an eighth grade theater production, is what this is. I really got a kick out of the kid that played Jack because he definitely seemed as if he learned theater from going to the summer camp from Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. <laughs> I could picture him in that camp. 100%. That Jewish summer camp. The props in general... Looked like those things that you get from Michaels, and they're just kind of like forms. And you yeah. could definitely get like a goose, I'm pretty sure, but like they didn't have Michaels back then. Yeah, but they're just like cardboard. And then if you leave them, leave them in the trunk of your car for a couple of days, you forget about them. You take them out. You look. They look like the props that were in this fucking movie. Yeah, the harp and the goose in particular. Yeah, the entire thing reeked of we're filming this at a theme park using five sets from other theme park productions. Yes. This seemed less like a movie and more like we already do a stage show of Jack and the Beanstalk at the park for the little kids. We're just going to film it this time. Yes. Is what this movie looked like. This, uh, so you mean that they always, and not just for this movie, but always thought that you make somebody look, you make somebody look giant by putting them in a really big chair? 
That was really confusing. That was really confusing. You're making him look littler. Yeah. And it definitely seemed like he did not have that good of a singing voice and that he was mouthing someone else who was a better singer. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In the whole movie, he's like, I smell something. I, I, I smell an Englishman. I will eat him and smash him. Oh, I will defeat the bad guy. Ah! It seemed definitely like yeah. he was really vanillying this. Yeah. You want to know the, the most surprising thing I learned, Bunny? What? Okay. The kid who played Jack in the in the credits, he is listed as Michel Paulos. He grew up to be a small time character actor. He was in L.A. Law, Arrested Development, General Hospital, Thirty Rock, Blue Bloods. He's still doing acting. Wow. Motherfuckers alive? He was in 30 Rock for shit's sake. All small parts for sure. But the fact that someone attached to Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny actually had a career and a decent IMDB page is surprising as fuck. Yes, it is. Now yes, it he's is. Mitch Paulos and he gets work. He's got stuff in pre-production on his IMDb page. Motherfucker's an actor now. I was blown away by this. Good on him. I I, I would right? like to hear his thoughts. Yeah. The, the guy reeks of high school theater, but he, he made a living out of it. He didn't do anything else in the 70s, but like 1989, he started appearing in little things. And now he still does. He's still doing acting and doing work in small parts in TV shows and movies and stuff. Like, fucking good on you, Jack. Jack is a guy <laughs> out there. He's still alive, still acting. Fucking good on you. Yeah. Blew my mind. Blew my goddamn balls off. Yes. But yeah, this movie is shit. This movie is 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 total shit. But well, first off, the story is shit. Jack yes. and the Beanstalk, right off the bat, is just kind of a shit story. Yeah. Okay. First. I don't really think a cloud would support a giant and his castle. Okay. I've always had a bit of a problem there. Uh, and it really doesn't make a difference exactly how mean the giant is. Because the giant yeah. basically keeps to himself. Yeah. It's just him and his wife. He's not bothering anybody. But yeah. Jack decides to rob the beans, climb up the beanstalk, steal his shit, and somehow the giant's the bad guy. Yeah. I've always had a bit of a problem with that. Yeah, he's breaking in. He is breaking in to the, uh, ooh, that's nice. He's breaking into the that's giant's castle. The, 
the giant isn't fucking with anybody, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> the giant's doing his own thing. And also, the ice cream bunny is essentially the David S. Pumpkins of this movie. Yeah. Like in the skit, the original skit on Saturday Night Live, they're at this horror night's theme park. Welcome to 100 Floors of Frights. And the couple is all scared of everything. Then suddenly they see David F. David S. Pumpkins and they're like, it's like scared, speechless. No, we're just trying to get our heads around David S. Pumpkins. Are we supposed to know who he is? Is he in some local commercial? <laughs> Who is David S. Pumpkins? And that's exactly the ice cream bunny. Like, who are you? Yeah. You're not a established thing. Something tells me in my heart of hearts <laughs> that the ice cream bunny was like the uh, the mascot of Pirate World. Yes. And that his appearance is supposed to be a, oh yeah, it's the ice cream bunny, the mascot of Pirate World, the theme park that you should all be going to instead of Disney World. Yes. But I have no proof of this. It's difficult to find information about Pirate World. But the place looks awesome. Or it looked awesome, because it's not a thing anymore. It closed down in 1973. Yeah. Crushed by Disney. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was eventually bought in... The land was bought in 1978, and they were going to build a biblical theme park there, but that fell through. The goddamn Doors played there in 1972? <laughs> Frank Zappa played there in 73? Like, this was the fucking cool place to go. Steve Miller Band, Grand Funk Railroad, Jethro Tull, Deep Purple, Three Dog Night, Alice Cooper, Steely Dan. Fucking, that is awesome. Dude, I want to I wanna go back in time to the freaking 70s and go hang out at Pirate World. <laughs> Dude, I want to go get I want to go get high and see David Bowie right next to the log flume ride. Yes. It's <laughs> my new freaking dream. Pirate world. Yes. So I like the Thumbelina one because you see more of Pirate World. It has that whole opening credit sequence and everything. There's no opening credits for this one for Jack and the Beanstalk. No. In the middle of the movie. It's weird that you, like, you're watching a movie in 20... It, with Thumbelina, it's weird that you're watching a movie and then 20 minutes into the movie, you see the credits for a different movie. Yes. Like, wow, that was a real, real switcheroo there. <laughs> but I, Jack and the Beanstalk, this, this was... This was cute. You know, I don't. And also, I the thing I like about the Jack and the Beanstalk one, too, is that I don't know the Thumbelina story for shit. Yeah. 
I know every, I know I knew exactly what was going to happen in Jack and the Beanstalk, and yeah. it was shorter. And the and and the kid, the they guy got to... who was selling the beans, was rather on the amusing side. Yeah, and then the guy who they got to play Jack just stunk of music, of high school theater. Yes, kid had a high school theater stink all over him, and and I don't know. I like the Jack and the Beanstalk version. I like it. It was cute. You know. Yeah, I, I just find it funny that we have somebody dressed up as an actual character, the bean seller, with his clothes and every that. And the next guy standing next to him, polyester pants, just <laughs> button down shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I liked that. It really did seem like all of the people in this movie were just employees of Pirate World. Same yes. with Thumbelina. Same with Thumbelina. I I find that charming in a bizarre way. <laughs> so that's all I got for Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny. To be clear, all of that was brand new. And you'll never hear that again. True. But just to be on the safe side, maybe if you're hearing this episode, episode 285 of the Pope on film, you know, you don't have to go back to episode 241 or episode 198 or episode 154 or episode 105. You don't have to go back to those because every episode that we've done Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny, 100% different. Thousand percent different. Yes. There's no point in, in in going back to the other episodes to see if they're similar because they're not. Take my word for it. I'm a podcaster. Yes. So there you go. That's all I've got, buddy. Yes. This is the last episode of the Pope on Film for 2020, and I just wanted to take some time and to let you know. That I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this podcast with me and still doing this podcast with me. You mean a lot to me, and this podcast means a lot to me. And I thank you for still, you know, sticking with me. Even though we don't have listeners or anything. Yeah, Yeah, that's fine. It's fun. It's, you know, it's a once a week thing. It's get together with a friend, have a little fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I view it. Listeners yeah. would be nice, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. You so, but I with this... you saying so. Thank you. Good. This episode is the last episode of the season. From this point on, we are finally out of the holidays, and we can get back to watching normal movies. Yes. Bunny. In November, I discovered a Christian movie that came out this year that is so fucking horrible. And I haven't mentioned it. And I've just been waiting, waiting and waiting for the holidays to be done so that we could do it for the podcast. Okay? Okay. The movie is called assassin 
33 AD. Is it, it is a Christian sci-fi film and I haven't put it yet on our shared cough cough, but I will right after we're done with this. Let me tell you the plot, okay? Evil Muslims go back in time to kill Jesus and Christians have to stop them. Oh my God. Just imagine Back to the Future, but in biblical times. Yeah. I'm so excited to watch this piece of shit. There oh, are the a setup lot of... is racist as shit. Oh yeah, no, the entire thing is fucking crazy ass racist. But um, there are some really good reviews of this movie online, which tells me that every single solitary crew member has left a review. Okay. But um, not a lot of people know about this movie. It's super under the radar, probably because it's it's a racist as fuck Christian sci-fi film. But I have been dying to watch this. And I've been waiting until we do it for the podcast. I'm super excited. Next week, we're doing the Christian sci-fi film Assassin 33 AD. Okay. And I'm so excited. So very excited. Okay, we... We might want to might want to post some of those reviews. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited Leading to be watching the show. <laughs> yeah, super excited to be watching this horrible movie. So that's next week. But now that I look back at this week, oh man, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the crazy castle series. Yes, Clapton or Crew. So many uh, wonderful moments. I got to say, I think this last episode of the year was a pretty good episode. This was a damn good episode. Okay, good. I feel I felt the same way about the episode, but I didn't want to step on your toes because you were the person who makes that distinction, not me. And I didn't want I didn't want to step on any toes. But yes, I concur. With your assessment, good sir. So until next week, I am Bunny Williams. And I am Reverend Steve. And on behalf of Eleanor, Maxwell, Bella, Natasha, and everybody else, I just want to say thanks for listening. And we will see you next week, you godless heathens. I need to shop and food pizza. And you, and you unseen Bigfoot. Unseen I'm dying. Bigfoot. This is the best day of my life. Do, 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 do. I'm Most pretty sure this cat is owned by the neighbor. Because I have seen, I saw this cat yesterday. The neighbor was walking around from the backyard to the front yard, and I just saw the tiniest little black cat follow the neighbor. So I'm pretty sure this cat is the neighbor cat. It's cat. But as far as I can tell, the cat has been, this new cat has been fairly friendly with our cat clan of warrior cats. Well, no, baby's, baby's being an asshole. Oh, baby's being an asshole to this cat? Okay. Well, yeah, and I'll wish Will you catch the mice? Do, 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 do,